This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where certain things are fixed, the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything else is just a matter of perspective. What's cracking, beer lovers? What up? How are we doing? It is a beautiful Saturday, college football, college football day. Um, Baylor's playing K-State, and currently winning at the half. Quite excited. It's a good day. It is a good day. It's a good day. Um, but I love to drink beer on college football Saturday. So I want to drink some beer. Let's do it. So, and actually, before we get started, we have to give a shout out. Yeah, I was about to do that. To our parents who are Amazing. huge supporters of all things Wellhouse Church. And... They found a, a twelve pack of beer from a brewery, and who called is Clown it? Shoes? Clown Shoes Brewery, yeah. And it's the twelve days of Christmas, and so we have twelve Christmas themed beers, or not themed, but Christmas packaged beers from Clown Shoes Brewing Company, which is in. Where are they? They don't say where they're at on the on the can. Oh, in um, Boston, Massachusetts. So we're gonna keep the uh, beers that we're gonna do secret, and y'all can f- watch the episodes and figure out what beers we're doing. But I think that this is funny. Um, oh, you. F- Find it where it said on the can? Yeah, Boston. Yeah. Um, so, founded in December 2009, Clown Shoes is the result of a joke, spite, and a deep passion for craft beer. Naturally, we dislike clowns, but find clown shoes hilarious. They remind us of humor and life and to be humble. If you have made it this far, thank you for reading the bottom of this package. <laughs> it really, like, the branding on their stuff is really good. It really is. Um, so we thought, or mom and dad thought, this would be great for um, Advent. Yeah. So. Love it. Here we are. So th- this is, unfortunately, the second week of Advent by the time. No, the first no, week of Advent. This is the first week. This is the first week of Advent. So it's perfect. Um, we will have one extra beer, two extra two beers, extra beers after Advent's over that we'll just roll into um, the next season. But it's okay. Yep. So what do you got? I'm very excited about this. The Galactic Cake Double India Pale Ale. Uh, I'm really excited because you guys know I love doubles. Um, but it says here, <clears throat> sorry, hold on. Ho, ho, it's 9%. Ho. I drink responsibly, kids. Drink responsibly. Um, oh, hold on. Our mission to produce beer without uh, pretension while being free and a little crazy. Love it. Love it. I don't think I've ever seen a brewery mm-hmm. put a mission statement on a can before. I haven't either, but it's awesome. Yeah, I'm so here for it. Um, so this is what they say. 
Galactica infiltrated the base of the Space Cake fleet. Then she destroyed it. Now she's on her merry way, and we bow before her hoppy uh, heroine. Uh, yeah. And intergalactic protector. Um, Galactic Cake is the result of one of our more famous mess-ups from the past, where we accidentally combined the recipe of Space Cake with the hops from Galactica. Intentional? No. Delicious? Yes. We have a story like that. Yeah. Um, featuring a base brewery brew of Space Cake dry hopped with the Galaxy Hop Focus blend that goes into Galactica. Galactic Cake combines Clown Shoe's signature double, I, signature double IPAs for a bevy of uh, tropical citrus aromas and notes of both pine and citrus. We always try to learn from our mistakes. This time around, we learned some mistakes are best shared with others. Nice. Love it. I love it. I love it. Yours has a story on the can that mine doesn't have. Oh, interesting. Mine doesn't have like a detailed account of it the way that yours does. Mine is called The Exorcist. And Clayton and I actually had to do rock, paper, scissors over this one because we both wanted it. Your boy got it. And I am super excited because it is a dry hop stout. That is something that I've never heard of before. Yeah, so I'm super excited about it. So let's get into it, buddy. What's your ABV? Oh, yeah, 8%. Yeah, drink responsibly. Drink responsibly, Cheers. kids. Cheers. This is kind of like the black IPA, man. I can already smell it. Really? Oh, yeah, that's good. Hmm. That's really good. Yeah, I really like this, too. Mm. Ooh, I really like this. So walk me through yours. I'm so flipping curious it is definitely still like stout and very typical prototypical stout kind of flavors mm -hmm. yeah very classic just stout flavors and interestingly enough not a milk stout right um just like a standard traditional stout like an extra stout type deal yeah that clearly has a pungent hop flavor. Um, I think it's really good. Seven, eight. Seven, eight? Yeah, I think it's really good. Um, it, it does remind me a lot of the black IPA. It's just that the hop flavors are not quite as forward in this one as they were in ours. Yeah. So... The beer in the can, I think, is fantastic. Um, it's a very standard kind of double. Okay. Um, but the I don't know what the hot blend is in this. Um, it, yeah. But they're not going to tell you that. I do know um, that the tasting notes are that they put in the story on the back. Um, yeah, perfect. Yeah, um, it's exactly what they say it is. Yeah, tropical citrus aromas, 
um, pine and citrus on on the palate, like yeah, all of those things. And I'm usually here for the pine flavor and I and IPAs. Me too. Um, I don't like it in whiskey so much. Yeah, yeah, but I agree, hundred percent. In beer, I, I I really like it. Yep. Um, there, it it is also really balanced for me. Um, because the the pine introduces some sweetness. Um, combined with the malt that's already in it. Yeah. Um, and it just balances everything out really well. Um, so the beer in the can is really good, but I I think a lot of what is drawing me to this beer is the branding. The branding and the labels are really cool. Um, I'm a nerd. I love yep. lore. Yeah. I love lore. Yeah. And there, everything is lore about this beer. Flipping everything. Yep. Like they even wrote you a story. Yep. Well, did you see my can? I think everything about the label, everything about the the brewery is yeah. that they're about lore. Yeah. And even the name clown. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, I, I love it. Um, so yeah. I'm sitting probably eight zero. Oh, okay. Between the the beer actually being good. Yeah. I mean, it's standard, but it's good. Yeah. Um and the the lore that they've set up with this beer, yeah. it just makes it fantastic. Yeah. Like the whole thing, it's just, I love it. Love um, it. Hey, clown shoes, you want to do a thing? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm very about this. Yeah, I'm very pleased with this first go with this brewery. Okay, so let's talk some theology. So today we're going to cover the uh, major dilemma that is the omniscience of God and free will. Okay. So why, why is free will important? Because it gives us the ability to choose to follow God. Okay, that's one reason it's important. There's another theological reason that free will is very important. Okay. Because if free will is not a thing, then God becomes the author of evil mm. because he mm-hmm. forced Adam and Eve to sin. To sin. Yeah. That's a major qualm with God. So free will must exist. Mm-hmm. Now the problem is, and not, well, yeah, it is a problem. Even conservatives like would say this is a problem. How does free will actually work if God knows everything. Hmm. If God knows everything and is all powerful, is anything we actually do free will at all? Uh, no. There are conservatives who would say yes. Yeah. Because just because God knows the decision you're going to make doesn't mean he made you do it. He just knows that you were going to make that decision. Now, the flip, the alternative argument to that is, well, if God knew I was going to make that decision, that was a bad decision. Why didn't God come in and put some kind of interference or mm-hmm. run some, you know, run some um, interference there? And- yeah, like damage mitigation here. Mm-hmm. So there's that piece. And the the other thing I'll say is like, historically, throughout the tradition of the church, it has been largely universally accepted that God is omniscient, mm-hmm. that God knows everything. 
the thing that has changed, and even Aquinas is having this conversation in the Summa. Mm -hmm. Does God as he sits today, is he all-knowing? Or is God capable of all-knowingness and has chosen to limit his knowledge Mm. for the purpose of free will? We... We have spent so many weeks arguing that very point, maybe maybe to a little bit more of an extreme than Aquinas would take it, but that's literally the conversation we've been having. What is interesting is that even through the tradition, and Anselm, right? Anselm's the one that kind of comes up with the three omnis and why you need those for God, the, the kind of ontological um, existence of God argument there. But in all of that, the omniscience of God is very important. Yeah. Like everyone throughout history has talked about this concept. So this is one of those moments where I would say like, hey, we can't fully like we can't fully buck tradition here because every major movement of history of the church the activity of god has said god is omniscient god is all knowing so we at wellhouse church will say the same thing god is all knowing yep the question is what way is god interacting with the all piece because and this is a this is a dilemma that Aquinas actually brings up when he's having this conversation. What Aquinas brings up is actually that the problem's not with God being all knowing. The problem is actually with our understanding of the word all, mm. because that implies that God can do anything, mm-hmm. but God can't do anything. What what are some things that God is incapable of doing? Sinning. Done. So all is actually not a good metaphor. Right. Because there, God is not capable of doing anything. He's not capable of producing death. Right. Well, hold on. Yeah, I was thinking, wait. That, no. Hang on. Say what you said again, and I know what you're trying to say. He can't create experiences of death, but I don't, I don't, as soon as it left my mouth, I think I would agree with that statement. God is incapable of creating experiences of death. But then that brings into other questions, but that's a, those are different questions. A hundred percent. Now I will also say in this conversation, the only reason that I'm okay with those other questions being unanswered Mm -hmm. is because I watched a God Mm -hmm who is the author and sustainer of life, right. take on death right. in order to forgive. Right. I can deal with a lot of doubts and questions mm-hmm. because of that. Because of Jesus. And Jesus Be- because of Jesus, yeah. literally, because of Jesus. So the omniscience piece is definitely important and definitely key but it's also 
a struggle because our own metaphorical concept of all is potentially damaging to what it communicates about God. Mm-hmm. So this is the classic like C.S. Lewis argument mm-hmm. where a line trying to explain a cube, yeah. which makes it very difficult. Right. In God knowing everything, if God actually does know everything as he sits today, do you feel like, as a well-informed and thoughtful person, do you feel like that means you have free will? Yes. And Okay, so walk it out. Why does God knowing everything and being all-powerful mean that you have free will? Well, hold on. We need to back up, because I'm still deconstructing the idea of God knowing everything. And... God being all powerful, right? Okay. Well, I think so. But, first of all, I would say I do think you have to say that God is those things. Right. The question but is his self-limiting. Yeah. How how much of it is actually available to him today? I think we have the free will because of God's self-limitation. Okay. Got it. So currently that's where I'm sitting. Okay. So I everyone would say that. Yeah. The question is, how much free will am I willing to give someone Mm. rather than, or yeah, the question really is, to what degree am I willing to limit God so that free will becomes more of a thing? So, like, even even hyper-Calvinists would say that God has limited a little bit of his knowledge to give the choice. Mm-hmm. Like you still got to make that choice. Now, when you make it is the question right. and God knows when you're going to do it, but you are elect. You, you have, you still like you do are going to do it, but you still have a part to play in your regeneration. Right. So they would still say that God has limited his omniscience to make space for you to have that free will choice moment. Right. Even they would still say, I think there are some like really, really hyper Calvinists that may not say that, Mm. but most all like middle of the road reformed theologians and people would say that. Mm -hmm. But then you have the other side where you can limit God much more, which is probably closer to where I am. Mm -hmm. I, I think I've limited God a lot more in my theological construct, um, which is to say that God has word it this way. Maybe you believe that God limits himself more. You don't limit God, but in in my theology, God, I have, I have limited God more than other people have not, not in that I control it, but in the way that God exists in my theological construct, he is more limited than in other systems. 
I just I could see there being some confusion there based on that statement. Yeah, so, I I don't think anybody that listens to this podcast on the reg would ever think that I think so highly of myself no, that no, I no. can limit God. I'm thinking about the one-off listener that's oh, like, yeah. oh, this this dude thinks he controls God. No, <laughs> not at all, not even a little bit. So you have this varying degree here. And, and it all comes down to God's omniscience, his knowledge, and how that, in, how that impacts free will. Because I remember growing up, I literally had an image of God that God was the master puppeteer, mm-hmm. that he's up there literally controlling every decision that every person makes every single day. That doesn't feel much like free will. Mm-hmm. That actually feels like whatever the opposite of free will is, like right. determinism. And actually, I wish I could remember it. Our friend Ben Blackwell, he does a great... Actually, I'm going to find it. I'm going to link it in the show notes. He does a great explanation of the difference between free will and determinism based upon um, Forrest Gump. And like things that happen in the movie Forrest Gump. And it's on his YouTube channel. I'm going to go find it. I'll link it. It's worth watching. But basically, it is, it is that question. Is a more deterministic view or a more free will view? And you're going to... It's impossible to stay perfectly in the middle, right? You're always going to favor one side or the other. And which side you favor, actually, if you didn't know it, is realistically it's speaking to how you feel about God's knowledge Mm -hmm. because if God knows everything, he's not actually giving a ton of free will. Mm -hmm. Now there is the one simple caveat that there are, there is a small, there's probably a small population of the Christian faith that would do a really good job of writing this line. And they would say, yeah, God does know everything, but God also doesn't interfere in the way that we would think an all knowing God would interfere. Mm. I think very few people hold that line well, but I do think there are some that do. Mm -hmm. For the average person, you're going to you're going to wrestle with this question and you're going to have to pick right at some point and the and I'll be honest the bible's actually not super helpful on this issue because there are texts on both sides of it there yeah. are very deterministic texts there are very free will oriented texts like th- this is why some of the major like divisions and denominations exist is because of this question mm-hmm. this is actually quite a big question. And so for each individual person at Wellhouse Church, you're going to have to ask this question. And there's going to be a sliding scale. There's going to be a spectrum. And this is the deterministic side, and this is the free will side. And you're going to fall somewhere on this spectrum. And wherever it is, it's okay. I will say, I do think that in order to be faithful to the creeds, you must say that God is 
omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent, I don't think that the creeds take away or exclude self-limitation. So you can choose to limit God up to a certain extent and still faithfully be within the creeds. Mm -hmm. But you're going to have to make this determination. And for me, I didn't like the image of God, the puppet master. Yeah. That, that was an unhelpful metaphor of God for me. I needed something else. I needed, and part of it is, is just a question of what do you need God to be? I, I feel like I ask people that question all the time as people are deconstructing and wrestling with these questions and trying to figure out what they're doing. I feel like I naturally like end up asking this question so many times. What do you need God to be? Because that's going to really dictate where you end up on this. I didn't need God to be the great puppeteer. I needed Jesus in my passenger seat. Right. I needed to know that I needed that intimate relationship and that experience with Jesus more than I needed God up there controlling everything. And like we talked about last week, that that more um, deterministic view, it brings a lot of comfort. It does. Um, it absolutely does. And, and in the same way, putting God as more imminent and more self-limiting so that he, he can be in your passenger seat Yep. Um, also brings comfort, but in a different way. Yeah, so that's the deal. I, I think, and that's the thing that I would want everybody to know, is like when you start talking about God and giving these different constructs, what I think everybody's afraid of is like you're just going to abandon any kind of ethic. Mm-hmm. And that's not it at all, actually. No. Yeah. We're all actually trying to make the faith work. Yeah. And we're trying to make it work in a way that we can be faithful to it. Right. And, and that goes back to experience and tradition. Well, and comfort. Right. There are some say is a part of experience, your comfort level. It's, it's a hundred percent a part of your experience. There are going to be experiences of people in one life or another in which they feel comfortable in certain settings where other people would not. Yeah. This is no different for faith. Right. There are people who feel more comfortable in an image of God, the great puppeteer. Mm-hmm. Great. More power to you. Yeah. 100%. Attaboy. Let's go. Same team. Mm-hmm. There are others like me who do not feel as comfortable With in that kind of construct. No. And, and, and maybe comfort isn't, the best word here, but it's because like that view for me actually puts God on the hook for a lot of things mm. that, that call into question some things of God that I must have. Mm. And so I can't do it. Which plays into your comfort about understanding the goodness and Correct. ethic of God. Correct. So, I have made something, I've shifted it so that it's a faith construct that I'm comfortable and want to be in and invite people into. Yep. We're literally both after the same goal, a faith that brings and gives life to us in the name of Jesus. We're just getting there two different ways. 